Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan, and this week we've got a guest on the program, Morgan Riggin. Morgan is one of our senior toxicology fellows at the NYC Poison Control Center and recently published a letter to the editor in the Journal of Emergency Medicine on the role of phenobarbital in alcohol withdrawal. I figured we'd bring her on the show and discuss a bit on the article and a little bit about the role of phenobarbital because I don't think we're always using that particular drug when it comes to alcohol withdrawal. So Morgan, welcome to Core EM. Thanks for having me. So Morgan, give us a little bit of background of you know where you trained and how you got to us. Sure. So I'm uh, Canadian. I did my uh, five-year emergency medicine training in London, Ontario, which is about halfway between Detroit and Toronto. And then I came to New York City last July to do my two-year talks fellowship. Excellent. Excellent. So uh, London, Ontario. So you're right in the uh, area of one of a good friend of our show, uh, Ken Milne. Uh, Yes. Ken is affiliated with the uh, university that I trained under. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, Ken, if you're listening to this, Big shout out to Canada. And uh, Morgan, I'm sure that everyone can tell from your accent that you're a Canadian. Um, I'm very happy that New York has not completely made you lose your accent in the year or so that you've been with us. Oh, I've made sure of it. <laughs> All right. So let's drop into the content today. The article that you guys did your commentary on was by Rosenson J. et al., Phenobarbital for Acute Alcohol Withdrawal, a Prospective Randomized Double-Blind Placebo Control Study. This was in the Journal of Emergency Medicine, published not too long ago. And what I wanted to talk to you guys about really was what this article looked at and why you guys wrote an editorial back. So the study randomized patients to get a single dose of phenobarbital or placebo for their withdrawal, and their primary outcome was the level of care the patient needed to be admitted to. They had 102 patients and found that ICU admissions were significantly lower in the phenobarbital group. It was 8% versus 25% with no difference in adverse events. They concluded that, and I quote, a single dose of IV phenobarbital combined with a symptom-guided lorazepam-based alcohol withdrawal protocol resulted in decreased ICU admission and did not cause increased adverse outcomes. Now, Morgan, this sounds pretty good to me. It was randomized. It was double-blinded. It was placebo-controlled. But again, you guys wrote an editorial, not necessarily saying that, you know, the article was wrong, but that you had some issues with what they were saying and how we should be using this drug. Yeah, that's exactly right. So again, we're not saying at all in our editorial um, that we disagree with the use of barbiturates uh, in alcohol withdrawal. Uh, Barbiturates have long held an important role in the management of severe alcohol withdrawal. Our concerns were more that uh, the article itself is suggesting that a single dose of a barbiturate, in this case phenobarbital, would lead to fewer ICU admissions and would not increase the risk of adverse outcomes. Uh, which to us uh, is a concerning message to, to put out there. Um, probably one of the biggest issues we had at first is we just don't really know much about this population. How sick were these people to start with? Um, we don't really know how they responded to treatment. We all sort of know that when we're managing somebody with um, alcohol withdrawal, the definition of success is what they look like clinically. You know, what are their vital signs? Are they still delirious? Is there any evidence of seizures? Uh, and none of these important parameters were really assessed and reported in the study. So for us, we have a hard time knowing uh, if this single dose of phenobarbital was more effective in controlling the signs of alcohol withdrawal compared to just the lorazepam-based infusion because we just don't have this information. Some of the other things that they do uh, 
use in the protocol is this modified CWA protocol that they call the Alcohol Withdrawal Clinical Assessment Tool. They do say, say in their discussion that this has not been validated. Um, we know that the original CWA protocol is only valid in the mild to moderate alcohol withdrawal group, which again, leading back to this group that we're working with, is we don't really know who are the people that make up this group in the study. Is this an appropriate tool to be using for this group of patients? Uh, and that would depend on what the severity of the withdrawal was. Again, without the important clinical information, we can't really uh, know whether or not this, um, this tool would be effective. The other thing that we kind of wondered about is without knowing what this um, alcohol withdrawal clinical assessment tool is, what's the difference between a score of six and seven? Is, is that minimal or is that actually a very significant difference? Um, sort of getting back to the clinical parameters, like that's the most important thing that you're looking at to determine whether or not you've effectively managed someone in severe withdrawal. The authors didn't use those as their marker for um, or their major outcome. They were looking more at ICU admission as a surrogate marker for controlling uh, in, um, alcohol withdrawal. We know that ICU admission isn't a patient-specific outcome, nor does it reflect the severity of uh, an individual's illness. This hospital, uh, specifically, their protocol is to admit everyone on a lorazepam infusion to the ICU. And however, when you go back and look at their methods, the initiation of a lorazepam infusion was left up to the care provider in the ED. So ICU admission may have nothing to do with the severity of someone's illness and more have to do with uh, an individual healthcare provider's comfort. Uh, again, it's just very difficult to compare the outcome of interest, which is ICU admission, if ICU admission itself is mandatory for anyone who's on the lorazepam infusion. And then some of the other things that we were, again, concerned about on a different degree is suggesting that there's the risks of using phenobarbital are minimal. We know that there are significant risks with phenobarbital, respiratory depression, hypotension, bradycardia, um, and that these risks are increased when phenobarbital is used in conjunction with benzodiazepines. Just because of this potential risk of these uh, adverse effects, we would suggest that patients that are receiving both or that are receiving barbiturates have a higher level of care. So concluding that using phenobarbital is safe and doesn't need ICU admission may give physicians a false sense of security when using this medication, uh, which could potentially lead to harm. And then the, the other, I feel like I have quite a few things to say, um, but the, uh, the other point to mention is that many of the patients in the lorazepam-only infusion group did receive other medications, including phenobarbital. So it just further confounds the clinical picture. So because of these reasons, we're just a bit hesitant to uh, come to such a robust conclusion uh, as the authors did in this study. Yeah, I think that all makes a lot of sense. I think especially using this other tool that we're not familiar with. I, I mean, I don't necessarily use the CWA tool, but I know a lot of people who do. The thing is, let's be honest, Morgan, you know this. We're a center of excellence for alcohol withdrawal at Bellevue. We see so much of it that we get used to managing these patients maybe without the CWA score, although I find it is really great for educational purposes, especially with residents who have less experience using this to guide their management. So I would have liked them to use something that a lot of people are using instead of a new tool that maybe doesn't have as much validity to it or hasn't been as studied as the CWA tool. But again, you point out that the CWA tool is really mainly for mild to moderate alcohol withdrawal, and we see quite a spectrum. We see patients who are pretty severe as well, and maybe that tool doesn't apply there either. Of course, I trained at Bellevue, so I primarily use benzodiazepines for the management of alcohol withdrawal patients. Here's my question. Should I be switching to using phenobarbital earlier on? 
I wouldn't say that you should be switching. Benzos are still the first-line treatment for alcohol withdrawal. Uh, at Bellevue, uh, diazepam is what's used. It has a more rapid onset of action than lorazepam uh, and has an active metabolite. So this allows for a slow autonomic taper um, as opposed to when you're using lorazepam, which doesn't have an active metabolite and requires an infusion to maintain the clinical effect. Really what you said is the key to management is symptom-triggered therapy and just continuous reassessment. So it's difficult to have a protocol that doesn't uh, factor in a continuous assessment. So a protocol that says every four hours you should check on a patient's, I mean, what's their level of delirium, what are their vital signs, well that's potentially too late for some of these severe alcohol uh, withdrawals that we especially see at Bellevue. Um, these patients need continuous monitoring assessment. If you're not seeing an improvement, then you need to give your patients more benzodiazepines. Uh, if your patient isn't responding to the benzodiazepines, uh, you shouldn't be afraid to escalate your dose. Uh, and again, if there's no response, then that's potentially when you would move on to something like phenobarbital. I do love using diazepam here for all the reasons that you talked about. I know a lot of the listeners will be more familiar with using lorazepam or Ativan for these patients. And I don't think that we're necessarily saying that you can't use those drugs, but you have to know the limitations of them. And that active metabolite really is nice with the, with the diazepam. It gives you a little bit of an extra protective effect. I also agree with something else that you said that, you know, when I've used phenobarbital in these patients, I'm always putting them in the ICU or at least the step down so that they're very closely monitored for all of those side effects, the hypotension the bradycardia, and the respiratory depression, I definitely would not be putting these patients on the floor simply because they look good now. So exactly. where are you using phenobarbital in alcohol withdrawal? What's really the role here? Can you sort of tease that out for us a little bit more? Again, I think that it just comes on looking at what the patient is, what's their clinical picture, and how are they responding to your initial therapy. So I always start with benzos, and if I see someone who's in very severe withdrawal, then I start to think in my head that they're probably not going to be responsive to my diazepam, even moving up to some of the doses that we use here, you know, 100 milligrams of diazepam. So I start to prepare for moving on to barbiturates early, um, you know, having my airway equipment open and ready to go, having a discussion with the, the team about, you know, what to expect when we add on the phenobarbital, if there's a complication or if the patient needs airway management, how we're going to move forward with that. Uh, but I think when you're looking at a patient who you just kind of get a sense sort of after seeing several, and again, I hadn't seen a severe alcohol withdrawal till I came to Bellevue, and now I've had probably half a dozen, you do sort of know pretty early on whether or not they're going to be responsive to uh, phenobarbital, but it's just sort of mentally preparing that when you see these patients, just that you've already taken that step in your mind and committed to going there, that when the time comes that you're not actually hesitant on, on actually t uh, getting the barbiturates out. If you're escalating your doses of benzos, and you're right, we often will use 100, 140, 160 milligrams of uh, diazepam in some of these really severe withdrawals. In the past, I would often be reaching for phenobarbital when the nurses would tell me, you know what, we're out of Valium. Uh, could you please find something else to use for this patient? And we have had those patients that eat up so much diazepam that we're actually running a little bit low on our stocks. And that's uh, maybe not the optimal place to reach for phenobarbital, but uh, this was the trigger for me many times. And you're right, when you're adding that drug on, you're going to want your airway equipment. You're probably going to want an end tidal CO2 on if you haven't already to maybe catch that respiratory depression a little bit earlier on. Now, I think, again, a lot of our listeners are not going to be familiar with phenobarbital. They probably use way more benzos. And like you said, not everybody deals with these really, really severe withdrawals to the point where they need those extra drugs. So if we start to reach for phenobarbital, can you give us some tips on how to use this as far as what the dose is, what the frequency is, and how long the drug's going to have an effect? 
So we usually recommend for an average size adult uh, that's, again, showing these signs of they're resisting the benzos and you're moving on to phenobarbital, uh, starting off with 65 milligrams to 130 milligrams IV, giving that in over 5 to 10 minutes. Uh, you can repeat that every 30 minutes, maybe up to about three doses, and it takes about 20 or 40 minutes to see any effect of your barbiturate, so you do want to avoid dose stacking. If you really aren't seeing any effect after your third dose of an IV barbiturate, then that's when you're going to want to consider moving on uh, to um, intubation if you haven't already done that uh, and starting a propofol infusion. So there are a couple of big keys in what you said. So first was that unlike diazepam that works fairly quickly, this drug's going to take a little bit more time to work. So, you know, you can't give it five minutes and say, oh, it didn't work when they give another dose. You got to give it a significant amount of time to work before you start adding another dose on. And, you know, the place that I found that I use this a little bit earlier in my management is now that we have electronic medical records, I can look up a patient and see that, oh, look, this guy was a very complicated withdrawal who ended up intubated in the unit. So maybe I want to start the phenobarbital a little bit earlier on them because last time, by the time they got there, the guy was already heading downhill. So sometimes in those patients who are really complicated, we've got the history of them being complicated. I'm getting this drug started a little bit earlier. But again, I think that key is that this takes some time to work. Um, don't stack those doses too closely. And then you said about three doses, you would consider moving on to another agent. At three doses, are you saying that you've pretty much uh, saturated those receptors? Is that why we're capping it at uh, three doses of barbiturate? I don't know if it's necessarily a receptor saturation per se, but just you would expect to see at least some improvement in your patient's clinical symptoms after three doses of a barbiturate. If you're not having any effect, then I think it's also more the risk that you now have these persistent symptoms that aren't being managed after potentially 90 minutes of trying to get them under control with your barbiturate. We would suggest that you should move forward and move on to the next line agent. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So, Morgan, anything else that you want to discuss before we wrap this up? Propofol, uh, again, it's something we all turn to quite frequently for uh, induction and for sedation after we've intubated someone. It is also very effective for alcohol withdrawal. Uh, obviously, you do want to pay attention to make sure that your patient's airway is secured, but that would be, again, sort of the next line agent after you've moved between your benzos and your barbiturates. Um, the other thing that sometimes gets forgotten is figuring out why someone went into alcohol withdrawal. So most career alcoholics, they will stop drinking because something specific happened. So you want to figure out what that was. Do they have pancreatitis that's preventing them from uh, being able to take anything by mouth? Uh, the underlying trigger really needs to be identified and corrected. Uh, and then along with that, especially, you know, you have these individuals who uh, potentially have very poor nutritional status at baseline, they're chronic alcoholics, they all need to get thiamine and glucose. Those are great tips. I just want to add one more thing to that. I often see residents who are titrating their benzo or their phenobarbital to the patient's heart rate. And heart rate is just one part of alcohol withdrawal to look at. You want to look at the overall picture. So if you have a patient who is resting comfortably, they're kind of sleepy but easily arousable, and they're still tachycardic to 120, you're missing something else. It's not uh, just the alcohol withdrawal. Um, these patients, you know, alcoholics were created to humble the emergency physician. They are always hiding a pneumonia, a pulmonary embolism, an MI, pancreatitis, alcoholic ketoacidosis. There are so many different things and you have to be very vigilant about looking for that. People who are, like you said, career drinkers, they don't stop for no good reason. Yes, sometimes it is simply I ran out of money, but often it is because I have pneumonia, pancreatitis, something else going on. So you really want to be vigilant about looking for those things and picking them up as quickly as possible so that you can manage all of the other underlying medical issues. 
Exactly. All right, so let's wrap this up with a couple of take-homes. Number one, in patients with alcohol withdrawal, your first-line therapy is going to be benzodiazepines. It's benzo, benzo, benzo. We like diazepam where we work, but we understand that a lot of people are using things like lorazepam out in other shops. Either way, be comfortable with escalating your doses of benzodiazepine. Number two is that in patients with refractory withdrawal to benzodiazepines, phenobarbital is a great second-line agent, and it may be reasonable to start this in patients um, who have complicated withdrawal a little bit earlier on. But you have to be aware that phenobarbital, when it's added to a benzodiazepine, increases the potential for things like respiratory depression and hypotension, and there are real risks, and the patient has to be meticulously monitored. And finally, all alcoholics require IV thiamine and adequate glucose repletion, and the cause of their alcohol withdrawal has to be determined and managed appropriately. All right, well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net, where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site, and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.